0: Chapter 5. After this, Caspian and his tutor had many more secret conversations on the top of the great tower, and at each conversation, Caspian learned more about old Narnia, so that thinking and dreaming about the old days and longing that they might come back filled nearly all of his spare hours. But of course, he had not many hours to spare, for now his education was beginning in earnest. He learned sword fighting, riding, swimming and diving, how to shoot with the bow, play on the recorder and the therbo, how to hunt the stag and cut him up when he was dead, besides all of everything else, cosmography, rhetoric, heraldry, versification, and of course, history with a little law, physics, alchemy, and astronomy. With magic, he learned only in theory, for Dr. Cornelius said the practical part was not proper study for princes. And I myself, he had added, am only a very imperfect magician and can only do the smallest experiments of navigation, which is a noble and heroic art, said the doctor. He was taught nothing, because King Miraz disapproved of ships in the sea. He also learned a great deal by using his own eyes and ears. As a little boy, he had often wondered why he disliked his aunt, the queen now, He now saw that it was because she disliked him. He also began to see that Narnia was an unhappy country. The taxes were high, and the laws were stern, and Raz was a cruel man. After some years, there came a time when the king se- queen seemed to be ill, and there was a great deal of bustle and pother about her in the castle, and doctors would come, and the courtiers cour- couriers whispered, This was in the early summertime. One night, while all of this fuss was going on, Caspian was unexpectedly waked by Dr. Cornelius, after he had been only in bed for a few hours. Are we going to do a little astronomy, Doctor? Caspian had asked. Hush, the doctor replied. Trust me and do exactly what I tell you. Put on all your clothes. You have a long journey ahead of you. Caspian was very surprised, but he had learned to have confidence in his tutor and began doing what he was told at once. When he was dressed, the doctor told him, "'I have a wallet for you. We must go into the other room and fill it with fiddles for your highnesses from your supper table.' "'My gentlemen in waiting will be there,' Caspian said. "'Oh, they're all fast asleep and they won't wake,' the doctor said. "'I'm a very minor magician, but I can at least contrive with charmed sleep.' They went into the antechamber, and there, sure enough, the two gentlemen in waiting were sprawled in chairs and snoring very hard. Dr. Cornelius quickly cut up the remains of a cold chicken and some slices of venison, and put all those, with some bread and an apple or, or so, and a little flask of good wine into the wallet which he gave to Caspian. It fitted on by a strap over Caspian's shoulder like a satchel you would use for taking books to school. "'Have you your sword?' the doctor asked. Yes, Caspian replied, then put this mantle over all to hide the sword in the wallet. There, that's right, and now we must go to the great tower and talk. When they reached the top of the tower, and it was a cloudy night, not at all like the night when they had seen the conjunction of Tarvis and Album, Dr. Cornelius continued, Dear Prince, you must leave this castle at once and go to seek your fortune in the wide world. Your life is in danger here. "'Why?' Caspian asked. "'Because you are the true king of Narnia, Caspian the Tenth, the true son and heir of Caspian the Ninth. Long life to your majesty.' And suddenly, to Caspian's great surprise, the little man dropped down to one knee and kissed his hand. "'What does this all mean? I I don't understand,' Caspian said." "'I wonder you have never asked me before,' said the doctor, "'why, being the son of King Caspian, "'that you are not King Caspian yourself. "'Everyone except your majesty knows that Miraz is a usurper. "'When you first began to rule, he did not even pretend to be king. "'He called himself Lord Protector. "'But when your royal mother died, the good queen, "'and the only Telmarin who was was ever kind to me, "'and then, one by one, all the great lords who had known your father,' "'either died or disappeared. "'And it wasn't by accident, either. "'Moraz weeded them out. "'Melsar and Ovalis were shot with arrows on a hunting party. "'By chance it was pre- pretended. "'All the great houses of the Passerades he sent to fight giants "'in the northern frontier till one by one they all fell. Arlian and Emron and a dozen more were executed for treasons on false charges.' two brothers of Dam, he shut up as madmen. Finally he persuaded the seven noble lords who alone made up the, among all the Telmerans not who didn't fear the sea to sail away and look for lands beyond the eastern ocean. And as he intended, they never came back. When there was no one left who could speak a word for you, then his flatters the one he had, as he had instructed them, began To beg him to become king. And of course, he did. Do you mean he now wants to kill me too? Caspian asked. That's almost certain, the doctor replied. But why now? Caspian asked. I mean, why didn't he do it long ago if he wanted to? What harm have I done him? He's changed his mind about you because of something that happened only two hours ago. The queen has had a son. "'I don't see what that's got to do with anything,' Caspian said. "'Don't see?' the doctor exclaimed. "'Have all my lessons in history and politics taught you no more than this?' "'Listen, as long as he had no children of his own, "'he was willing enough that you should be king after he died. "'He may not have cared much about you, "'but he would rather you should have the throne than a stranger. "'Now that he has a son of his own, "'he will want his own son to be the next king.' You are in the way. He'll clear you out of the way to make room for his son. Is he really as bad as that, Caspian asked? Will he really murder me? He you murdered your father, Doctor. The doctor said. Caspian felt very queer and said nothing. I can tell you the whole story, said the doctor, but not now. There's no time. You must fly at once. You'll come with me, Cornelius started to ask. Oh I dare not, said the doctor. It would make your danger greater. Two or more are easily tracked than one. Dear Prince, dear King Caspian, you must be very brave. You must go alone and at once. Try to get across the southern border to the court of the King of King Nan of Archenland. He'll be good to you Shall I ever see you again? Caspian asked in a quavering voice. "'I hope so, dear king,' said the doctor. "'What friend have I in the whole world except your majesty?' "'And I have a little magic, but in the meantime, speed is everything. "'Here are two gifts before you go. "'This is a little purse of gold. "'Alas, all the treasure in this castle should be your own by rights. "'And here is something far better.' "'He put in Caspian's hand something which he could hardly see.' but which he knew by the feel to be a horn. That, said Dr. Cornelius, is the greatest and most sacred treasure of Narnia. Many, many terrors I have endured, many spells did I under utter to find it when I was still young. It is the magic horn of Queen Susan herself, which she left behind her when she vanished from Narnia at the end of the Golden Age. It is said that whoever blows it shall have strange help No one can say how strange. It may have the power to call Queen Lucy and King Edmund, Queen Susan, and High King Peter back from the past. And they will set all things to right. It may be that it will call up Aslan himself. Take it, King Caspian. But do not use it except at your greatest need. And now, haste, haste, haste. The little door at the very bottom of the tower, the door into the garden, is unlocked. There, there we must part. "'Can I have my horse, Destier?' said Caspian. "'He's already saddled and waiting for you, "'just at the corner of the orchard.' During the long climb down the winding staircase, "'Cornelius whispered many more words of this direction and advice. "'Caspian's heart was sinking, but he tried to take it all in. "'Then came the fresh air in the garden, "'a fervent hand clasp with the doctor, "'a run across the lawn, a welcoming whinny from Destier. And so King Caspian X left the castle of his father's. Looking back, he saw fireworks going up to celebrate the birth of the new prince. All night he rode southward, choosing by ways and bridle paths through was as long as he could and as long as it was in the country he knew. But afterwards, he kept to the high road. Nesir was as excited as his master at this unusual journey and Caspian, though tears had come into his eyes at having to say goodbye to Dr. Cornelius, he felt brave and, in a way, happy to think that he was King Caspian riding to seek adventures with his sword on his hip and Queen Susan's magic horn on his right. But when day came with a sprinkle of rain and he looked about him and saw on every side unknown woods wild heaths and blue mountains, he thought how large and strange the world was. And felt frightened and small as soon, it was f- as soon as it was full daylight he left the road and found an open grassy place amid a-, a wood where he could rest he took off destier's bridle and let him graze he ate some cold chicken and drank a little wine and then presently fell asleep it was late afternoon when he awoke he ate a morsel and continued on his journey still going southward by many unfrequented lanes He was now in a land of hills going up and down, but always more up than down. From every ridge, he could see the mountains growing bigger and blacker ahead. As the evening closed in, he was riding their lower slopes. The wind rose, soon, rain fell in torrents. Dessier became uneasy. There was thunder in the air. And now they entered a dark and Seemingly endless pine forest and all the stories Caspian had ever heard of trees being unfriendly to man crowded into his mind. He remembered that he was, after all, a Telmarin, one of the race who cut down trees whenever they could and were at war with all wild things. And though he himself might be unlike other Telmarins, the trees could not be expected to know this. Nor did they. The wind became a tempest. The went- woods roared and creaked all around him. There came a crash. A tree fell right across the road just behind him. Quiet, Desir. Quiet, said Caspian, patting his horse's neck. But he was trembling himself and knew that he had escaped death by an inch. Lightning flashed, and a great crack of thunder seemed to break the sky in two just overhead. Dessier bolted in great earnest. Cassian was a good rider, but he had not the strength to hold him back. He kept his seat, but he knew that his life hung by a thread during the wild c- career that followed. Tree after tree rose up before them in the dusk and was only just avoided. Then almost too suddenly to hurt, and yet it did hurt him too. Something struck Caspian in the forehead, and he knew no more. When he came to himself, he was lying in a fire-lit place with bruised limbs and a bad headache. Low voices were speaking close at hand. "'And now,' said one, "'before it wakes up, we must decide what to do with it.' "'Kill it,' said another. "'We can't let it live. It'll betray us.' "'We ought to have killed it at once, or at least let it alone,' said a third voice. "'We can't kill it now. Not after we've taken it and bandaged its head and all. "'It would be murdering a guest.' "'Gentlemen,' said Caspian in a feeble voice. "'Whatever you do to me, I hope you will be kind to my poor horse.' "'Your horse has taken flight long before we found you,' said the first voice, a curiously husky, earthy voice, as Caspian now noticed. "'Now don't let it talk you round with its pretty words,' said the second voice. "'I still say, horns and halibuts!" exclaimed the third voice. Of course we're not going to murder it. For shame, Nickabrick. What did you say, Truffle Hunter? What shall we do with it? I shall give it a drink, said the first voice, presumably Truffle Hunters. A dark shape approached the bed. Caspian felt an arm slip gently under his shoulders, if it was exactly an arm. The shape somehow seemed wrong. The face that bent toward him seemed wrong, too. He got the impression that it was very hairy and had a very long nose, and there was odd white patches on each side of his face. It's a mask of some sort, Caspian thought to himself, or perhaps I am in a fever and imagining everything. A cupful of something sweet and hot was set to his lips, and he drank. At that moment, one of the others poked at the fire, and a blaze sprang up, and Caspian almost screamed with the shock as the sudden light revealed the face that was looking at it into his own. It wasn't the face of a man but of a badger, though larger and friendlier and somehow more intelligent than the face of any badger he had ever seen before, and it had certainly been talking. he saw too that he was in a bed of heather in a cave. By the fire sat two little bearded men, so much wilder and shorter and hairier and thicker than Doctor Cornelius that he knew them at once to be real dwarfs, ancient dwarfs with not a drop of human blood in their veins. Caspian knew at that moment that he had found the old Narnians at last, and his head began to sw- began to swim again. In the next few days, he learned to know them by names. The badger was called Truffle Hunter. He was the oldest and the kindest of the three. The dwarf who had wanted to kill Caspian was a sour, black dwarf. That is, his hair and beard were black and thick and hard like horsehair. His name was Niggerbrick. The other dwarf was a red dwarf with hair rather like a fox, and he was called Trumpkin. And now, said Niggerbrick on the first evening when Caspian was well enough to be able to sit up and talk, we still have to decide what to do with this human. You two think you've done a great kindness by letting, not letting me kill it. But I suppose the upshot is that we have to keep it a prisoner for life. I'm certainly not going to let it go alive to go back to its own kind and betray all of us. Bulbs and bolsters, Nickabrick said Trumpkin. We need to talk. Why need you talk so unhandsomely? It isn't the creature's fault that it bashed its head against a tree outside her hole. I don't think it looks like a traitor at all. <laughs> I say, said Caspian, you haven't yet found out whether I want to go back. I don't. I want to stay with you, if you'd let me. I've been looking for people like you all of my life. <laughs> That's a likely story, growled a You're a telmarin and a human, aren't you? "'Of course you want to go back to your own kind.' "'Well, even if I did, I couldn't,' said Caspian. "'I was flying for my life when I had my accident. "'The king wants to kill me. "'If you'd killed me, you would have done this very thing to please him.' "'Well now,' said Trump, Truffle Hunter. "'You don't say,' (laughs) said Trumpkin, "'What's that? "'What have you been doing, Cuan, to fall foul foul off of of Merez at your age?' "'He's my uncle,' began Caspian.' when Nicobrick jumped up to with a hand with his hand on his dagger. There you are, he cried, not only a Telmaroon, but close kin and heir to our greatest enemy. Are you still mad enough to let this creature live? He would have stabbed Caspian then and there, if the Badger and Trumpkin had not got in the way and forced him back down in his seat and held him down. Now once and for all, Nicobrick, said Trumpkin, will you contain yourself, or must Truffle Hunter and I sit on your head? Nickerbrick sulkily promised to behave, and the other two asked Caspian to tell them their his old whole story. When he had done so, there was a moment's silence. That's the queerest thing I ever heard, said Chumpkin. I don't like it, said Nickobrick. I don't know didn't know there were stories about us being told among the humans. The less they know about us, the better. That old nurse now. She'd better have held her tongue, and it's all mixed up with that tutor. "'A renegade dwarf. Oh, I hate him. I hate him worse than the humans. You mark my words. No good will come of it.' "'Don't you go talking about things you don't understand, Niggerbrick,' said Hunter. "'You dwarves are as forgetful and changeable as the humans themselves. I'm a beast. I am and a badger, what's more. We don't change. We hold on. "'I say great good will come of it. This is the true king of Narnia well, we've got here. A true king coming back to true Narnia.' And we beasts remember, even if dwarves forget, that Narnia was never right except when a son of Adam was king. Whistles and whirlwigs, truffle hunters, said Trumpkin. You don't mean you want to give the country to humans? I said nothing about that, answered the badger. It's not men's country. Who should know about that better than me? but It's a country for a man to be king of. We badgers have long enough memories to know that. "'Why, bless us all, wasn't the High King Peter a man?' "'Do you believe all those old stories?' asked Trumpkin. "'I tell you, we don't change, we beasts, said Truffle Hunter. "'We don't forget. "'I believe in the High King Peter, Peter and the rest that reigned at Caraparaval, "'as firmly as I believe in Aslan himself.' "'As firmly as that,' I dare say said Trumpkin. "'But who believes in Aslan nowadays?' "'I do,' said Caspian.' And if I hadn't believed in him before, I would now. Back there among the humans, the people who laughed at Aslan would have laughed at stories about talking beasts and dwarfs. Sometimes I did wonder if there really was such a person as Aslan. But then sometimes I wonder if there really were people like you. Yet, there you are. That's right, said Trouble Hunter. You're right, King Caspian. And as long as you'll be true to old Narnia, you shall be my king. "'Whatever they say, long live, long life to your majesty.' "'You make me sick, badger,' said growled Nickerbrick. "'The High King Peter and the rest may have been men, "'but they were a different sort of men. "'This is one of the cursed Telmorons. "'He has hunted beasts for sport, haven't you now?' "'He had rounding suddenly to Caspian. "'Well, to tell you the truth, I have,' said Caspian. "'But they weren't talking beasts.' "'It's all the same thing,' said Nickerbrick. "'No, no, no,' said, said Truffle Hunter. "'You know that isn't true. "'You know very well that the beasts of Narnia nowadays "'are different and are no more than the poor dumb worthless creatures you'd find in Calmarin or Telmar. "'They're smaller, too. "'They're far more different from us "'than the half-dwarfs are from you.' "'There was a great deal more talk, "'but it all ended with the agreement "'that Caspian should stay and even the promise that, as soon as he was able to go out, he should be taken to see what Chumpkin called the Others. For apparently in those wild parts all sorts of creatures from the old days of Narnia still lived on in hiding. Chapter 6 Now began the happiest times that Caspian had ever known. On a fine summer morning, when the dew lay on the grass, he set off with the badger and the two doors, up through the forest to a high saddle, in the mountains, and down into their sunny southern slopes, where one looked across the golden woods of land, when we will first go to the three bulgy bears, said Trumpkin. they came to it they came in a glade to an old hollow oak tree covered with moss, and trovel hunter tapped with his paw three times in the trunk, and there was no answer. Then he tapped again, and a holy a start sort of a voice came from inside. Go away, it's not time to get up yet. But when he tapped the third time, there was a noise like a small earthquake from inside, and a sort of door opened up, and out came three brown bears, very bulgy indeed, and blinking their eyes, little eyes. And when everything had been explained to them, which took a long time because they were so sleepy, they said, just as Travel Hunter had said, that a son of Adam ought to be king of Narnia, and all kissed Caspian, very wet, snuffly kisses they were, and offered him some honey. Caspian did not really want honey, at least not without bread, at the time, at at least at that time in the morning, but he thought it polite to accept anyway. It took him a long time afterwards to get unsticky from everything. After they had... After that, they went on till they came among tall beech trees, and hunter chuffle hunter called out, out Powder twig, powder twig, powder twig, and almost at once, bounding down from branch to branch till he was just above their heads, came the most magnificent red squirrel Castwin had ever seen. He was far bigger than the ordinary dumb squirrels which he had sometimes seen in the castle gardens. Indeed, he was nearly the size of a terrier. In that moment, he looked into his face. He saw that he could talk. Indeed, the difficulty was to get him to stop talking, for, like all squirrels, he was a chatterer. He welcomed Caspian at once and asked if he would like a nut, and Caspian said thanks, he would. But as patter Twig went bounding away to fetch it, Truffle Hunter whispered in Caspian's ear, Don't look. Look the other way. It's very bad manners among squirrels to watch anyone going to a store, or to look as if you wanted to know where it was. Then Pattertwig Twig came back with the nut and cast me and ate it, and after that Pattertwig Twig asked if he could take any messages to other friends. For I can go nearly everywhere without get- saying foot on the ground, he said. Truffle Hunter and the dwarves thought it was a very good idea, and gave Pattertwig Twig messages to all sorts of people with queer names, telling them all to come to a feast and council on Dancing Lawn, At midnight, three nights ahead. And you'd better tell the three bulges, too, said Trumkin. We forgot to mention it to them. Their next visit was to the seven brothers of Shuddering Wood. Trumkin led the way back to the saddle, and then down eastward to the northern slope of the mountains, till they came to a very solemn place among rocks and fir trees. They went very quietly, and presently Caspian could feel the ground shake under his feet as if someone were hammering down below. Trumpkin went to a flat stone about the size of the top of a water butt and stamped on it with his foot. After a long pause, it was moved away by someone or something underneath, and there was a dark round hole with a good deal of heat and steam coming out of it, and in the middle of the hole, the head of a dwarf, very like Trumpkin himself. There was a long talk here, the door seemed more suspicious than the, squ- than the squirrel or the bulgey bears had been. But in the end, the whole party were invited to come down. Caspian found himself descending a dark stairway into the earth. But when he came to the bottom, he saw firelight. It was the light of a furnace. The whole place was a smithy. A subterranean stream ran past it on one side of it. Two doors were at the billows, another's holding a piece of red-hot metal on the anvil with a pair of tongs, and the fourth was hammering at it. There were two wiping their horny little hands on a greasy cloth who were coming forward to meet their visitors. It took some time to satisfy them that Caspian was a friend and not an enemy, but when they did, they all cried, long live the king, and their gifts were very noble. Mail shirts and helmets, swords... All that for a Caspian, Trumkin, and Nickabrick. The Badger could have had the same if he had liked, but he said that he was a beast, and he was, and he—if his claws and teeth could not keep his skin whole, it wasn't worth keeping at all. The workmanship of the arms was far finer than any Caspian had ever seen, and he gladly accepted the dwarf-made sword instead of his own, which, in comparison, looked as feeble as a toy and as clumsy as a stick. The seven brothers, who were all red dwarves, promised to come to a feast at the dancing lawn. A little farther on, in a dry, rocky ravine, they reached the cave of five black dwarves. They looked suspiciously at Caspian, but in the end the eldest of them said, "'If he's against Mraz, we'll give him we'll have him for a king.'" And the next oldest said, Shall we go farther up for you, up to the crags? There's an ogre or two and a hag up there that we could introduce you to up there. Certainly not, said Caspian. I should think not, indeed, said Truffle Hunter. We want none of that sort on our side. "'Nicobrick disagreed with this, but Trumpkin and the Badger overruled him. It gave Caspian a shock to realize that the horrible creatures out of the old stories. As well as the nice ones, had some descendants in Narnia still. We should not have Aslan for friend if we brought in that rebel, Truffle Hunter explained as they all came away from the cave of the Black Doors. Oh Aslan, said Trumpkin, cheerfully but contemptuously. What matters much more is that you won't ha won't have me. You do you believe in Aslan? Caspian asked Nickelbrick. "'I'll believe in anyone or anything,' said Nicobric. Thou "'Anyone that'll batter those cursed Talamurn barbarians to pieces, "'or drive them out of Narnia. "'Anyone or anything, Aslan or the White Witch. "'Do you understand?' "'Silence, silence,' said Truffle Hunter. "'Do you not know what you're saying? "'She was a worse enemy than Miraz and all his race.' "'Not to Doris she wasn't,' said Nicolbrick. "'Their next visit was a pleasanter one than the last.' As they came lower down, the mountains opened out into a great glen or wooded gorge with a swift river running at the bottom. The open places near the river's edge were a mass of foxgloves and wild roses, and the air was buzzing with bees. Here, Truffle Hunter called again, Glenstorm, Glenstorm. And after a pause, Caspian heard the sound of hoofs. It grew louder till the valley trembled, and at last, breaking and trampling the thicket, there came in sight the noblest creatures that Caspian had yet seen the great centaur Glenn Storm and his three sons. His flanks were glossy chestnut, and the beard that covered his broad chest was golden red. He was a prophet and a stargazer, and knew what they had come about. Long live the king, he cried. I and my sons are ready for war. When is the battle to be joined? Up till now, neither Caspian nor the others had really been thinking of a war. They had had some vague idea, perhaps, of an occasional raid on some human farmstead, or of attacking a party of hunters. If it ventured too far into the southern wilds, at least. But in the main, they had only thought of living to themselves in woods and caves and buildings up, an attempt at old Narnia in hiding. As soon as glenstorm had spoken, everyone felt much more serious. Do you mean a real war to drive Miraz out of Narnia? Caspian asked. What else? said the centaur. What else does your majesty go clad in mail and girt with a sword? Is it possible, glenstorm the badger asked. The time is ripe, glenstorm replied. I watch the skies, badger, for it is mine to watch, as it is yours to remember. Tyra and Albion have met in the halls of high heaven, and on earth a son of Adam has once more risen to rule and name the creatures. The hour has struck. Our council at the dancing lawn must be a council of war. He spoke in a voice that neither Caspian nor the others hesitated for a moment. It now seemed that to them, at least, quite possible that they might win a war, and quite certain that they must wage one. It was, as it was now, past the middle of the day. They rested with the centaurs and ate such food as the centaurs provided: cakes of meal, and apples, herbs, wine, and cheese. The next place they were to visit was quite near at hand, but they had a long way to go. Long to go way around in order to avoid the region in which men lived. It was well into the afternoon before they found themselves in level fields, warm between hedgerows. Their truffle hunter called at the mouth of a little hole in the green bank, and out popped the last thing Caspain expected, a talking mouse. He was, of course, bigger than a common mouse, well over a foot high, when he stood on his hind legs, at least and with ears nearly as long as a rabbit's, though much broader. His name was Reepicheep, and he was a gay and marital mouse, or happy. He wore a tiny little rapier at his side, and twirled his long whispers as if they were a mustache. "'There are twelve of us, sire,' he said with a dashing and graceful bow, "'and I place all the resources of my people unreservedly at your majesty's disposal.' Caspian tried hard and successfully not to laugh, but he couldn't help thinking that Rebich Cheap and all his people could very easily be put in a washing basket and carried home on one's back. It would take too long to mention all the creatures whom Caspian met that day. Clodsley Shovel the Mole, three Harbiter's, who were badgers like Travel Hunter, Camillo Camille, the Hare, and Hogsdottle the Hedgehog. They rested at last beside the well at the edge of of a wide and level circle of grass, bordered with tall elms, which now threw long shadows across it, for the sun was now setting, the daisies closing and the rooks flying home to bed. Here they supped on food they had brought with them, and Trumkin lit his pipe. Nicobrit was not much of a smoker. Now, said the badger, if only we we could wake the spirits of these trees as well. We should have done a good day's work. Oh, can we? Caspian asked. No, said Truffle Hunter. We have no power over them. Since the humans came into the land, felling forests and filing streams, the Dryads and naiads have sunk into a deep sleep. Who knows if the- they will ever stir again. And that is a great loss on our side. The Telmarins are horribly afraid of the woods, and since the trees moved in anger, our enemies would go mad with fright if they did that once again and to be chased out of Narnia as quick as their legs could carry them. What imaginations you animals have, said Trumpkin, who didn't believe in such things. But why stop a trace in waters? Wouldn't it be even nicer if the stones started throwing themselves at old Mraz? The Badger only grunted at this, and after that there was such a silence that Caspian nearly dropped off to sleep when he thought he heard a faint musical sound from the depths of the wood. Wood behind him then he thought it was only a dream and turned over again but as soon as his ear touched the ground he felt or heard it's hard to tell which one it was a faint beating or drums he raised his head the beating noise at once became fainter but the music returned clearer this time it was like flutes he saw that truffle hunter was sitting up staring into the wood the moon was bright that night Caspian had been asleep longer than he had thought. Near and near came the music, a tune wild yet dreamy. The noise of many light feet, till at last, out from the wood into the moonlight, came dancing shapes such as Caspian had been thinking of all his life. They were not much taller than dwarves, but far slighter and definitely more graceful. Their curly heads had little horns. The upper part of their bodies gleamed naked in the pale light. But their legs and feet were those of Goats, fawns, cried Caspian, jumping up, and in a moment, they were all around him. It took next to no time to explain the whole situation to them, and they accepted Caspian at once. Before he knew what he was doing, he found himself joining in the dance. Trumpkin, with heavier and jerkier movements, did likewise, and even even Truffle Hunter hopped in and lumbered about as best as he could. Only Nickabrick stayed where he was looking on in silence. The fawns footed it all around Caspian to their reedy pipes. Their strange faces, which seemed mournful and merry all at the same time, looked into his. Dozens of fawns, mentis and openness, Dominus, fullness, Vultuus, Corbidus, Niminus, nasius and osinus, patterwake had sent them all. When Caspian awoke the next morning, he could hardly, hardly believe that it had not been a dream. But the grass was covered in little cloven hoof marks.